with the Scottish Tournament of Hearts in full swing. Now is the perfect time to support your local curling club. Curl Ontario is running a 50-50 draw for the next couple months with 40% of ticket purchase proceeds going directly to local curling clubs. The Norris District Curling Club is in need of support, so visit the Norris District Curling Club Facebook page and click on the 50-50 link to purchase your tickets and send 40% to the club direct. Tickets are $5 for $20, $20 for $50, or $50 for $100, and current prize is $24,650 and growing by the day. Buy your tickets and support a local curling club today. You're listening to the Over 6 Sports Podcast. Normally, we would start off the podcast with, um, you know, some jokes, some pep some peppy talk, um, you know, come in hot. Uh, unfortunately this week, Cam, it's been uh, a really kind of sour note to the start of the week. Um, you know, we're recording this on Wednesday, February 24th. Uh, and yesterday, as most of you listening probably know, um, Tiger Woods was involved in a single vehicle crash, uh, was the only occupant in the vehicle, the only car involved um, and he suffered significant injuries. Um, yesterday when this happened, we weren't exactly sure, you know, what was going on. So we, we delayed recording the podcast today. Usually we record on Tuesdays and just to try and get some more information for you. So before we talk about this a little bit, Cam, I just, you know, obviously all of us at over six sports, myself and Cam, we, you know, wish Tiger Woods and, and the Woods family, uh, all the best and and prayers are going up to to Tiger and the family. Um, I'm just going to read quickly the quote from today from Tiger Woods Twitter account. Um, Mr. Woods suffered significant orthopedic injuries to his right lower extremity that were treated during an emergency surgery by orthopedic trauma specialist at Harbor UCLA Medical Center, a level one trauma center. Um, open fractures affecting both the upper and lower portion of the tibia and fibula bones were stabilized by inserting a rod into the tibia. Additional injuries to the bones of the foot and ankle were stabilized with a combination of screws and pins. Trauma to the muscle and soft tissue of the leg required surgical release of the covered covering of the muscles to relieve pressure due to swelling. Um, and that's the chief medical officer, interim CEO at Harbor UCLA Medical Center, Anish Mahajan. And he is... Uh, Tiger Woods is currently awake, responsive, and recovering in his hospital room. So that's obviously super good news. Um, he's stable, uh, not in not in critical condition. Um, Cam, when we learned this news yesterday, it really had, you know, we, there was a lot of uncertainty, and this was really reminiscing of last, you know, last uh, last winter when when the whole Kobe thing happened. So I think for us, a, a lot of us, our hearts skipped a beat. Yeah, I really uh, saw the news at first that it was a single vehicle accident and you heard the jaws of death or jaws of life that had to remove him from the vehicle that ended up being false. And you're thinking, is Tiger dead first off? That was your first thought. And you're like, really, are we going to lose him two years, less than two years removed from winning the Masters? Then you start to think about it a little more. You get into it. Is this the end of arguably the greatest golf career ever? 
Uh, I know you got to think a little personal too. You look at how much fun he's been having with Charlie on the golf course and you got to feel for his family and his kids and that thought. And it was kind of a roller coaster of emotion. As you looked at Twitter over and over again, over the hours, you go from possibly thinking he's dead to looking at if he's ever going to golf again, and you're not really sure where it's at. So, I mean, we've got some good news that he should be able to walk eventually and still up in the air if he'll ever be able to golf again. But I mean, it's a lot of good news over the last 24 hours in that case he's going to be able to spend time with his family he's going to live and he should be able to walk eventually so that's good news but on a athlete kind of view and a sports view it's still pretty up in the air and pretty sad looking at it well and we'll get to the to the sports aspect of this in a moment um you know I, I, as you kind of said and and i you know believe as well is is you know at the end of the day you know, celebrities are just like you and I, they're, they're human beings. Um, this was very evident with the Kobe accident and it shook everybody. Um, but the, you know, Tiger Woods or Kobe Bryant or anybody is, um, doesn't have superpowers that you or I don't have. I mean, anybody at any given time, um, can be involved in accidents like these. And, you know, it really, you know, gives you an appreciation for how fragile, life is and how, you know, every moment that you're, you know, living and breathing and spending time with your family and both of us are family guys. Like it's, it's as most people are. And, you know, it really gives you a, uh, puts it into perspective, right. That you really need to cherish every moment. And, you know, I, I just wanted to mention before we get into the sports stuff that I just, you know, Tiger's had a troubled past, and I just feel that it's so sick of what I, of what I'm seeing online. I saw a little bit of it yesterday before more information came out, and then I saw quite a bit more of it, joking about, oh well, he was probably drunk, this, that, and the other thing. He's probably on the pills again. He's probably getting chased out by his, you know, by his wife with a golf club. And I just think that's so sick, like, and not sick in the good way, by the way, like sick, like isn't wrong, because you know, I know that there's internet trolls and. And people can make jokes of what they want. And, and, you know, validly, some people deal with trauma that way. But, you know, stomping on the stomping on Tiger during this incident, I mean, it's completely inconsiderate and inappropriate um, at this time. And it just, you know, you have to remember, as I just said, you know, celebrities are human just as we are. Everybody makes mistakes. But, you know, for people online to jump to these conclusions and, and to say all this stuff is just so ridiculous in my mind, like, you know, this guy has, you know, as, as you had said, he just was golfing with Charlie. He has a fiance. He's got a lot of people, even professionally, who he's really close friends with. Justin Thomas comes to mind, who was super choked up in an interview when he had heard, you know, when he was getting interviewed yesterday and he was um, choked up when he heard the news about Tiger. Like, you know, sometimes you got to think before you speak. You, you, you don't disparage the man. I mean, you can hate his guts or whatever you want. You can not like him. But this is still a man with a family. This is still a human being, still got a soul. Like you shouldn't ever want that kind of, you know, you should never put that kind of negative energy towards him. And obviously, you know, we always, we, we hope the best for him and we hope to see him back on the golf course soon. Um, so let's just talk really quick just about, you know, how this affects, and we don't know all the information and what the recovery time frame is, but um, you know, is, is this the end for Tiger Woods golf career? Yeah, I mean, we don't know. I'm not, I'm not going to pretend I'm going to sit here in a doctor, but I mean, I look at the last three weeks in golf. We have Jordan Spieth in contention back-to-back-to-back to back, to back weeks now. You had Max Homa win, who's one of the biggest 
Tiger fans all time. He's pretty active on Twitter. He's a super funny guy. And it was Tiger's tournament this weekend. It was his invitational tournament. And uh, you got a guy like Max Homa who loves Tiger, and you see that from golfers. And he tweets out after he won, I spent over a dozen years trying to get Tiger to give me a high five at Riviera, and today he handed me a trophy. What a world. And you see that, and you're like, golf with Tiger's different. I mean, we've seen the last three weeks, Spieth moves the needle. But nobody moves it the way Tiger was. I know people in 2019 who don't care about golf, who sat down and watched six hours of Tiger Woods because it's arguably the greatest comeback story ever. And I know we've talked a little bit. He had substance abuse, pill issues, and that was where everyone went. Just so everyone knows, the sheriff department did come out and say there was nothing. He was sober. He was alert. So we don't need to always jump to conclusions. And if you look at him recently, the way he's changed his life, he's had his ex-wife is now at the tournaments with the kids. She was around the PNC when he golfed with Charlie. He's doing a lot of really good things now. Yeah, he has a shady past, but golf's better with Tiger Woods in it. I don't care who you are or what your opinion is. It's just a fact. You look at the ratings, you look at who watches it, what happens, and it's just a different sport with Tiger around. Well, and he, and as you had said, I mean, it can't be understated how much he moves the needle Um, and not just, you know, in majors. I mean, majors, obviously, but in every single tournament that he shows up or even, you know, tournaments that he's hosting, anytime the guy's around, anytime there is his presence there, it just has a different feel. Um, I mean, the greatest, you know, you talk about guys who, and you had that quote from the other day about, about Tiger playing in a majors and how he's inspired some of these young guys. Yeah, so a lot of the young guys over the years have always touched, oh, I can't wait for Tiger to be back in contention. I can't wait to be at Augusta with Tiger on a Sunday. And they thought, oh, it's just going to be easy. And Armin Catan, who did the documentary, who wrote a book, they, when he heard all these quotes, he just said, the fuck you do. <laughs> and in 2019, he was 100% right. The fuck you do want to be on a Sunday with Tiger. No, you chance. had Kepke, you had Molinari, you had all these guys hitting it in the water, missing shots. You had on 16, he hit almost an ace. It rolled near the hole. You could just hear it and feel it. Saw guys looking over from other tee blocks, having to back away from their shots. When Tiger's in contention, there's a different aura around the game. Everyone watches it. Everyone knows it, and it's something else. That red shirt, the black pants on a Sunday, you don't want to be a facing that you just want to be sit back and enjoy watching it no absolutely i mean i feel like you and i sitting on our couch watching tiger winning the masters was so much better than any other golfer other than tiger woods who was even playing the event you know you start the day and he gets on his roll and you're like there's no chance that i'm winning this and talking about the roars of the crowd like the roar of the tiger uh, is is something special and it's something different you, you could have, I mean, there's roars for speed. There's roars for Rory McIlroy. You know, there's, you know, normal crowd, normal crowd cheering when somebody hits a big shot. But the Tiger Roar is something that any golfer on any golf course in the entire world can recognize immediately. You know when he's on the course and when he's rolling. There's just the buzz. And, you know, even at the Masters in 2019, he's that was his fifth time winning it. Uh, you, you really didn't see anything like that. And that obviously is part, part to do with his, his comeback story and, and what he's, you know, and what he has really contributed to the game of golf. And I don't think the game of golf is, would, would be where it is today without Tiger Woods. I think that's pretty fair to say. And, you know, guys like Spieth and everybody, as you said, they, they move the needle. Um, 
but nobody moves the needle uh, like Tiger Woods does. So once again, from from Cam, myself, and us at Over Six Sports, you know, we give our best wishes to Tiger. Hope uh, hope he recovers, and hope to see him on the golf course uh, sooner than later. That's one last thing I want to touch on quickly. Everyone's looking at the injuries and saying, "Yeah, he should be able to walk, but is he ever going to swing a club again?" We've heard that before with Tiger Woods. If there's anybody, I know he's 45 now, going to come back from this and golf competitively again, it's Tiger Woods, and I wouldn't put my money against him being back. Even if it's in sm- some smaller capacity, playing the majors, playing a couple other. Yeah, playing the Champions me. Tour or whatever. It wouldn't shock me, and I really hope we see it one day. So we wish the best recovery, but it's good to know that he should be able to spend a ton of time with his kids and still hopefully have a decent life, whether he golfs competitively again or not. Yep, absolutely. So after that, uh, we got some more breaking news today, which was we thought it's we had good one thing. good thing. Oh man, Cam, it's a good thing that we delayed a day and did recorded the podcast on Wednesday because what came down the pipe this morning, Cam? So uh, my phone blew up pretty quickly. I'm listening to the fan and suddenly I hear Claude Julian and Kirk Muller have been relieved of their duties for the Habs. So lose two in a row to Ottawa, pick up two points and they fire their head coach and assistant. Seems early, doesn't it? You kind of knew that uh, Kirk Muller was going to go. He's been someone the last three years who had been dealing with the special teams, and they've been bad the last three years. Their penalty kill and power play both ranked in the bottom third this year again, and it's just not good enough. They're taking a lot of penalties, and from all accounts, it sounds like some of the guys started to check out. It's pretty similar to five years ago when Michelle Terrian was fired. Price and Weber and Pacioretty kind of talked to Bergevin, said the room was losing it, and it sounds like Price and Weber kind of got it at the same point. And you wonder, Price went through a kind of stretch with when they fired Terry and where he was bad, and he looked looked not like Carey Price. And then they fired him, and he looked like Carey Price. He looked like he was the best goalie in the world again. And if you watch that game yesterday, he just really looked like he didn't care. He didn't look like somebody who has the potential to be the best goalie. So I definitely thought a shakeup was coming close, and I thought Julian was on the hot seat for sure. But, yeah, it even shocked me a little this morning that both of them were let go. Well, it seems so early. I mean, that's the thing that I look at. Um, we're going to dive into this a little bit more, but the the one thing that you just said was, you know, Kerry seems to play, you know, he, it kind of seemed like he checked out. Um, you know, it is, is just in terms of him checking out, it, it like very rarely does the coach – and I, I guess I'm saying is I don't know how much, you know, influence a coach has on a goalie. Obviously, you can sit him, you can do this, that, and the other thing. But, you know, Kerry Brace is standing in his net 60 minutes a game. He's not on the bench. He's not really getting yelled at. So what's the influence that a coach kind of has on a goalie like that? Is it just not giving him the support or the system that he needs to be successful? I just think with the way Kerry Price is a team member, I think that certain things weren't going to the team, and that just really impacts him as well. I mean... There was jokes when they were looking at a captain that Kerry should have been it. So I think just anything that happens in the room, he kind of takes to heart as well. So if Julian did lose the room like they're kind of saying he did, then I think it impacts that. And, I mean, you kind of knew a couple years ago, Dominique Ducharme, who's going to be the interim head coach, when he was brought in by Bergevin, coached the World Juniors, won gold medal, won the Memorial Cup with Halifax. You knew he was the next guy in line. The other big news is they brought in Alex Burroughs, former Canuck, and uh, played a year for the Senators. He's going to take over their power play, 
and be an assistant coach. So I know it's still hockey and it's not super young blood, but you got now a rookie head coach and a rookie assistant coach. So it's something to keep an eye on. And I think you're looking for something like Vegas or St. Louis. We're bringing in a different coach. I know it's a little early, but it is a condensed season can really turn it around. They're a good team. They're not a juggernaut or exceptional or anything, but they are a really good team. And I think they're built for a playoff like team. So if Kerry can get his game together and they can figure out the special teams a little bit, I think it could turn out to be a really good move. Well, and Mark Bergevin is kind of on the hot seat a little bit. Um, I mean, the Habs had a really hot start. And I mean, this guy's got to look out for himself at the end of the day, too. You know, as much as you want to improve the team and you want to, um, you know, make sure that they're a winner and give your coach the benefit of the doubt, at the end of the day, you know, Mark Bergevin still can get fired as well. So if it seems like he's just sitting back and letting things happen and letting, you know, players check out, then, you know, it's his, it's his ass on the hot seat. So I don't blame him for that. I think I am still surprised, as I said earlier. I think I am still surprised it was so early. I mean, the Habs are not that far behind. They got games in hand. I, I just don't know, like, is the shakeup just supposed to kind of give them like a jump start of life? You know, give them a little CPR to get back in before they're too far behind? Um, cause I know that you can kind of get a bit of a, as, as a team, like generally the team bounces back when there's a new coach, right? Like they try to say, okay, yeah, it was the coach. It wasn't us as players. They don't want to take the blame on that. Um, but you know, I, I'm not convinced necessarily that, that Claude Julian was the problem. I didn't see a ton of it. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely think I watched a little closer than you do. You've seen the Leafs games, you've seen parts of the other games and it did seem like something was up. Something needed to be changed. And last year, they went through two eight-game losing streaks. And I think that's what Bergevin didn't want to happen this year. You can't do that this year. Even last year, they snuck into the bubble as kind of just an outside team. They had an outside shot at the playoffs still. But then they looked like one of the best teams in the bubble. They could have easily beat Philly in the second round or second stage, whatever you want to call it. And you just can't go through that again this year. So I think... I know that you're thinking, oh, they just lost two to Ottawa. That's why he was fired. It sounds like it was in place for a while now where if things started to slide the way they are and the team looked as disinterested as they are with his message, that you do need to do something and you need to do it sooner. And they had the next guy on the bench already, and now he's he's got quite a good plan in place. I mean, he brought in the whole power play change in junior. That is something that the Leafs have implemented. They're formation on the power play is something that Dominique Ducharme brought to junior hockey and brought to team Canada under 18s under 21 so he has some neat ideas and a lot of different things and one of his best players in junior was Jonathan Drouin he got the most out of Drouin I mean he had yep. McKinnon too yeah of course so those are things you have to look at so I think a new voice is not a bad idea and I definitely think he's a guy who can work with young guys well and if you look at their centers they are super young they have Kakanyemi is in his third year. Suzuki is in his second year. Jake Evans, who's a rookie. So you got a lot of those pieces that I think he can work well with. And then you still got a Luke Richardson, who's on the bench. And now you're bringing in Burroughs, who's recently retired. So I think it's a really different view. And I think they're going to get the attention of the players. And I don't really see a downside to it. Did seem a little early, but watching the games over the last two weeks and even before the break, you kind of knew something was imminent. Well, and I, you know, before we kind of move into our, um, our NHL recap from the last weekend, um, the last thing I want to say on this is I did see things on Twitter, which was like, you know, if, if that goal, if Gallagher's goal counted at the end of that game, because Gallagher scored with 
no seconds left on the clock or two seconds left on the clock or something and it got called back on goalie interference and if you want to comment after this comment you're more than welcome to i know that you're fired up about it but you know the, the twitter world is saying well julian would still have his job today if if that goal counted i think that's not even a, close to a deep enough dive in on the situation i mean really if you're going to tell me that a coach loses his job off of one called back goal it just seems a little ridiculous to me but chime in on that and and then chime in on what you thought of the goal because I know that you're fired up about it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it sounds like, and even Bergevin said that they were planning on letting him go today, no matter what happened in that game yesterday. Yeah, the team fought back pretty good to get in that game. Carey Price still looked disorganized at times, but I mean, yeah, in my opinion, and I mean, you look at Twitter and you watch Sports Center and you listen to the fan. This goes back to nobody has any idea what goalie interference is anymore. Gallagher got pushed into Murray, got up, was able to tip the puck in, and somehow Murray still wasn't able to make the save. I mean, if there was enough time for Gallagher to get stepped on by somebody else, get up, make the tip, how is there not enough time for Murray to make the save? Well, and I heard the argument from someone that, well, you know, and you're a goalie, right? You played goalie, you still play goalie, so you know this more than I do, but they're saying, well, Murray didn't have time because he had to, you know, track the puck, he had to get back and set there's three seconds left on the clock. And like, well, he didn't have time to do that. Is it easier for a player to get set and tip one in? Probably. But it looked to me like Murray had enough time. I even texted you last time. And I was like, that was called back. Like, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I personally think there was enough time. He did an unnecessary spin and then he kind of still was looking around like, Oh, why isn't there a penalty or something? But he Gallagher was directed in there. So if it did happen, if it was a bang-bang play, then it's unintentional contact, no goal, face-offs outside the zone. But to me, he had plenty enough time to set himself and get ready for the shot. And if it wasn't a tip, it was hitting him in the chest and there's no issue. But Gallagher made a nice tip, so that's why it was in and that's why his hands went up. Murray's shown this in the past. You could ask any Philly fan when they won <laughs> battled in Pittsburgh that Murray likes selling this stuff and staying down longer than he should. So, I mean, the Habs got a point yesterday. And if you look at it, the Habs go one and one against Ottawa. Nobody's losing their mind. So they still got two out of four points. So it's not the end of the world. But it just really goes back to, I mean, we both touched on it. The refereeing this year in general is questionable all around. And... Every year, I think they get closer on this goalie interference call, and it's every time it happens, I actually have zero idea if it's going to be a goal or not when it goes to review, and that needs to be fixed. It should be more black and white. I know it's not something you can say yes, no. We don't want to go international where every time a guy goes in crease, it's automatically No, that's down, stupid, but, yeah. But we need some consistency, and, I mean, Gallagher and Julian both sound like they were going to get fined anyways. And Gallagher went off because he's a guy who plays in that crease often. So he's curious about what does count and what doesn't. And apparently he saw tons of videos that say that should count. If the goalie has time to set, then it should count if it happens after a certain amount of time. So, Well, and I had heard that quote and he was fired up. And I'm, I'm watching this quote. I'm like, oh, this dude's getting fined like 100%. There's no doubt about it. he's getting fined. But can you blame him? Because I can't. Like, I totally agree. And we've, as you said, we've talked about the inconsistencies. And even in the Leafs game on, you know, against Calgary, I mean, they lost 3 nothing the other night. And it was, there was 11 penalties or something stupid. 
and it was just getting ridiculous. Like it looks like the refs are almost getting themselves. Like they call something early that's that's weak, and then they just get themselves into this hole where they're like, well, now we have to call everything. I thought they did an okay job on the weekend doing the set, the the halves and Leafs game. I thought it was okay. I think there's still weak calls, and there's always going to be weak calls as long as there's human officials. But I, I don't know. I, I agree with you. We just need some sort of consistency. And uh, but speaking of our of the of the Habs and the Sen or Habs and the Leafs on the weekend, can let's start our uh, our betting weekend recap. Yeah, we had the. Uh, we'll start with the Habs Leafs game, and uh, you took the Leafs. I took the Habs, and the game pretty much has gone how most of the Habs Leafs games have gone this year. Montreal really dominates the five on five play, but you can't give that Leafs team power plays, and you can't give them five on threes. Yeah. So, and I mean, that's part of the reason that the coaching change was today and Montreal's special teams weren't good. Toronto's were, that was the difference in the game really. And it's frustrating, but that's the way it goes. And I still think it'll be a good series if, and when they, they get there. And if the officiating can figure itself out a bit, not that I think it cost the game, their special teams wasn't good enough, but that's kind of where I stood on that game. Well, and I mean, Matthews had another two goals that game. You know, he didn't score Monday. They got shut out by by Calgary. They're 0-0 right now um, with with Calgary with seven minutes left in the third. And, you know, you look at that game and, and what teams are doing, what Calgary's done the last two games is really cue on Matthews on that power play because the Leafs are just trying to force it to Matthews every single shot, which is stupid. But, you know, it's, it's one of those things. I mean, the Habs tried. They tried to keep him out of it, but you, you give this guy enough time. I mean, his second goal on Price, you could argue Price should have had it. It was an awkward shot kind of off the top of the pad and bounced the right way. That could have easily gone the other way. Um, but as I as I had said, I think the Leafs were hot last week. I think they're not, not as good. I know they got some injuries this week, but I think you're right. I mean, from a from a Leafs has perspective, it should be it should be very similar to that game kind of all year long. And now with this Julian firing, you know, the Habs gotta start rattling off some wins against the Leafs. I know they don't play for a little while uh, against the Leafs again, but, you know, it's 3-1 in the series. You know, Leafs only have to win another two to get a, a, a year split, and the Habs, in a sense, Cam, have to – they got to win almost five out of the next six, don't they? Yeah, I mean, I never really thought they were going to compete with the Leafs. The start of the year kind of looked like it, but I still think the Habs are fighting for that second overall spot, and that's even still where they are. I mean – sounds like the sky is falling when you fire a coach, but they're still right there. So it'll, I still think it's going to be a fun series either way. And every game will be a good one and a fun one to watch. If you're looking for a hockey game to watch when they face each other, that's the one. So I do want to move into our next game then. And we're going to go back to Lake Tahoe for this one. What a scene there. Beautiful. And so we had Avs Vegas. I took the Avs. You took Vegas. I got the win there. And this is just another game where the stars took over. You look at the Leafs and Matthews. McKinnon doesn't want you to forget about him either. He's been injured off and on. He had a goal, two assists. Kale McCarr looked like a star, and the Colorado team getting healthy really took over the game. And I mean, it ended up being 3-2. Marc-Andre Fleury looks like Vesna candidate again. Oh, the guy's so. a stud right now. I mean, is there a better goalie in the league right now? No, he's definitely in the talk for Vesna's, and I know we want to get talking about awards over the next couple weeks, kind of as we get to this halfway mark in the NHL season, so... He's someone to watch, but yeah, you definitely first game you saw Matthews take over, then you see McKinnon take over, 
and it's definitely a star league. So that was a good game, and that scene is just unbelievable at Lake Tahoe. Oh, I mean, the NHL, it was a great location for it. You know, they tried to play during the day. Obviously, the sun, you know, there's was, was a factor. They delayed the game, you know, four or five hours until the sun was off the rink because the, the, the ice was just turning into soup, and it was just unplayable. So I, I think, you know, I don't think that necessarily affected. I think it would be weird missing some time. I mean, you, you kind of treat it like a second game. The first part's a bit of a warm-up. Um, I, you know, I thought Vegas played all right. I mean, it was a three, two game. I thought it was close, but anytime you got McKinnon and it's, it's kind of funny when you look at outdoor games for whatever reason, you know, like quite a few years ago, you know, Sid scores in a shootout in that game to win, you know, Matthews scored an overtime to win one game, uh, in a classic against Detroit. I think it was Matthews or was it Bozak or who was it? I think it was Matthews. Wasn't it? I think I it was. actually have no idea. I think it was Matthews. Who but scored. I definitely, not, the other, yeah. So hopefully somebody on Twitter, will let us know. <laughs> yeah. If you're on Twitter, if you're following I, at over six sports, let us know. Did Matthew score in that, in that classic game? But then it just seems like the stars in the, it, when anytime there's that spotlight on them, they just step up and, and perform at the highest level. Yeah. And I do love the McKinnon goal. They had Alex Petrangelo was mic'd up and uh, McKinnon wheeled back in his own end. And all you hear is Petrangelo just say, Oh boy. And you see a guy like McKinnon wind up in his own end and you're like, Oh shit, he's coming one-on-one versus me. And man, I love the mics. I love when the mics are on, even if the, you know, even the refs too. I mean, that's been the greatest thing is getting to hear what the refs are saying, but I just love when, when the mics are on and I just wish that they could be a little bit more candid because let's be honest here. It's Petrangelo saying, Oh boy. Cause I sure shit don't think he's saying, Oh boy, normally. <laughs> yeah. You never know, but that definitely makes it fun. And of course on that play, McKinnon goes in, makes a quick move, goes post in and make made him and Fleury kind of look silly. And he's got the ability to do that. And uh, I mean, when we get into the third Saturday game, the Oilers flames, we both really thought the Oilers were going to come out hot needing to win games. And I think McDavid was a little fed up with all this Matthews talk this year. Yeah. Seems like a guy, eh? guy goes out, gets a natural hat trick, five points on the night and plays two minutes in the third. He really took over that game and reminded you that how good Matthews is at scoring goals. McDavid's still the best player in the NHL, in my opinion. And he showed it that night. And that's kind of where we thought they would be. They, we thought McDavid would start to take over some of these games now that they need to win. And he did exactly that. What's ridiculous is, is that you see, you know, game management, rest management or whatever you want to call it, whatever, what was, whatever Kawhi was, right. That they do that in the NBA a ton. How good of an NHL player do you have to be to get rest management or game management? It like in the third period, like when was the last time that you saw a coach say, you know what, bud, you've done good enough. Have a seat for the, you know, take the rest of the third off. No problem at all. You know, you got five points. You don't need to get out there. Like, it's just outrageous. It's absurd. Yeah, what the guy does right now on the ice and the way he just kicked that puck to himself and then the way his hands and mind work, I just, I've never seen anything like it. I mean, Crosby's probably been the best player I've seen most of my life, but the things McDavid does on the ice, I've never seen anybody close to doing and it's, it's fun to watch and he's got a heck of a career still to go. So I'm excited to just keep watching him play hockey. Load management. Well, I just got, got a message. Load management is what I'm talking about. So there you go. Replace everything I said before with load management. If McDavid has load management, 
that it just shows how ridiculous he is. Anyway, so what are we at after those games there? So I think we're we're each uh, two and one then after the Saturday games. So then we get into the Sunday games, and here's where you really uh, took off. Absens, you took uh, Sens money line. I took Habs money line, and the pesky Sens were the pesky Sens. I mean, they got a couple crazy bounces over Jake Allen's head and snuck out the point in OT off a weird pass, and even Kachuk's goal goes off the Habs stick and right back to him. But they snuck out a game, and, I mean, the Suns are doing what I thought they'd do all year. They're young, they're talented, they're pesky, and they're going to be a tough out every game. I think they're going to play tough, and they're number one in the league in hits, which definitely makes them even peskier to play against. Yeah, well, the Claude, you know, and maybe this is the Claude Julian thing looking back in hindsight, but I... It, Maybe it's the second game of a back-to-back. I don't know what it was, but the Habs just looked completely out of gas in the OT. I mean, even if they got a change, they came on the ice and the and the Sens just dominated them in, in overtime. I thought that Monday's, or sorry, uh, last night's game was a little bit better in overtime. Like, it was more back and forth. But that uh, that Sunday game, it just looked like the, 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 the Habs were just on their heels the whole over time, the sense just took it to him, and it just kind of felt like a goal was inevitable there, unfortunately, for the Habs. Well, the Habs held it for almost a minute in the Sens' end and really had the Sens backed in, but then they miss one pass, leads to a breakaway. So then all three of those Habs who had been out there for a minute have to rush back, and that's really when Ottawa was able to change. And then that minute and a half, so the Habs guys had been out there for two and a half minutes, it was, you knew it was game over. You just three on three, you can't be out Yo, there you that long it. and have that. Yeah, you felt it 100. percent So, so it was, was a tough. So that was a good. That was a good one for me. As I said, I only really, I, I actually did think that Montreal might have been able to pull that off, but I hate, I hate watched and you know picked the Sens. I figured that might cost me, might cost me a couple of units, but the, uh, it actually worked out for me in the end. So then we get into our final game. We had the Canucks and Jets. And that game pretty much went the same way we figured it would. We thought the Jets were the better team. They were going to get some important step-ups, and Dubois had his first big game as a Jet. He really stepped up there, had two goals, the overtime winner, three points, and uh, really was the difference in that game. Well, he looked like he was, you know, showing to his coach, and, and, and this is what I had said a couple of weeks ago on the podcast, right? I thought he was going to score a couple of weeks ago. He got injured. He said in an interview before the game that he was roaring and ready to go, two-week quarantine, plays a game or two, gets injured for another three four games, and he's like, I, I'm fired up and I'm ready to go contribute for my new team. And did he ever? I mean, he came out and had had a great game, was all over the place, looked like a completely different player under Paul Maurice than he did under John Tortorella. And, you know, Vancouver's been good, surprisingly good. I mean, they've been exceeding expectations in the last week because they were garbage a couple weeks ago. But, yeah, they've actually been a winning record versus everyone but Toronto and Montreal. Toronto and Montreal yeah. ran them over early in the year. But they've been better, man. And I just, you know, it's crazy that, you know, that they've they've had this kind of resurgence because their D is awful. Their goaltending's not great. I mean, hope he's okay, but they're not great. Um, but I think at the end of the day, and I, in this game, I think it showed it that, uh, you know, the the best teams rise to the top or the cream rises to the top. And, and that's what happened in that Jets game, and Dubois really made his mark uh, on the Jets, and I and I see that being a trend moving forward. Yeah. So uh, just to recap on the weekend, Zach, you went four for five, 
up almost Ooh. three and a half units. Big weekend. I went three for five, so I did okay, but didn't hit anything big. So I was only up just about half a unit. So then we look at uh, through two weeks now of doing this on the podcast. I'm uh, five for eight, up 1.76 units. So pretty good. Not bad. You're five for eight as well, but uh, that big sends dog puts you at over two and a half units now. So yes. Yeah, so we're so just if anybody is following along at home, we are 62 and a half percent correct over two weeks doing this on the pod, which is pretty damn good for hockey because hockey is one of the most ridiculous sports to bet on. The parity in the league is just crazy. So for us to be at 62.5%, we need to keep this up and make sure the listeners can win some moolah, baby. Yeah, so with all the headlines this week, we are going to do five games again, but we're going to move through them a little quicker this week just to keep things moving. Mm -hmm. A few other things we want to get to. So uh, Saturday's games, we got five of them. We'll start with the Sens versus Flames. Just a quick thought and your pick, Burke. Yep, quick uh, quick thought. I, I'm i going to go Sens. I think the Sens are going to be a dog. I think the Sens are going to pretty well, it's a fairly safe to assume that they're going to be dogs all year. Um, one quick question before I answer. Oh, sorry. By the way, the Leafs and the Flames are 1-1. They were tied 0-0 with like two minutes left and they both just scored. That's craziness. Um, sorry. Uh, the flame. So is, is Markstrom hurt? Is that why he's out? Yeah, it sounds like he's day to day, so he might be back. But I mean, for me watching this goaltending, Riddick looks fine. So I wouldn't be too worried about that. Yeah. Well, that's what I'm thinking. Right. So, um, I, I, the angle that I'm looking at with, with flames and, and, uh, and sends is Matt Murray's been not great, but Riddick's been good. But how long? I mean, Riddick was bad before this, wasn't he? Or what's his record right now? It's one and three going into tonight, but he's overall been okay. Okay. Well, I'm going to, you know what? I, this worked out for me well last weekend. I'm going to go separation again. I think uh, Sens are going to be dogs. I'm going to take Sens money line. Yeah, I'm not going to overthink this. The Flames look like a really good team now. They were kind of, I had them in battling for that second position overall. So Flames money line just seems like a good pick and to not overthink it. So uh, second game we're going to get into then is a big one. We got Matthews versus McDavid and Oilers versus the Leafs. Kind of quick thoughts on that. And again, what's your pick, Burke? Well, I, again, I think it, I, I really hope that there's some guys back from injury. If Anderson's not playing in that game, the Leafs are losing. I don't think that's a ridiculous statement. I can like if, if you came to me and said, okay, it's McDavid versus the Leafs and Hutchison, which is probably what it's going to be. Who the hell is picking the Leafs? I don't care who they're they have to score. Because McDavid's gonna rip Hutch apart. I'm gonna take Edmonton money line. Yeah, I'm just gonna go the same way as you there. I think McDavid's hearing all this chatter about Matthews and he's having a heck of a year. But head to head, McDavid's gonna step up and I mean, we overlook the reigning Hart trophy winner as well and dry sometimes. So in a big game against Marner and Matthews, I think they're gonna step up and Toronto's going through a little bit of a lull here, not looking like I mean, they're still the top team. So Oilers probably as a dog seems like a good pick and they can make the standings pretty fun with that win. Are they going to be dogs, you think? Probably slight dogs, not a ton. It'll probably like, be it might plus. be a pick of me, like one, one, minus 105, one ten, minus 110 or something like that. I think the Oilers will get plus money, but it only it might only be like plus 120 or something. But Are the I Leafs ever going to be plus money again? Because if they're not plus money with Hutch, they're going to be minus money the whole year. Well, we just look at their record right now. You got to assume, even with a backup goalie, that you can get a win. So that's fair enough. 
We're get into the third game then, and we go Habs versus Jets. Yeah, so this is, you know, my opinion yesterday is definitely different from today. Um, the Habs play tomorrow, Cam, I believe. Yep, they do. They still. Okay, so they play tomorrow versus, um, they play the Jets. They play the Jets twice, right? Yep. So um, I think the Habs are going to get a boost. I really do. I think that you see this all the time with teams that fire their coaches. It doesn't really matter what sport you're in. Obviously, if you're the worst team in the NBA, you're not going to do great. But um, NFL, this happens. NHL, it happens probably the most. You get a two, three game window in there where you get that new coach boost. You're trying to prove yourself. So, yeah, I'm going to ride. I'm going to ride that. I'm going to ride the new coach wave and take Habs money line versus the Jets. Yeah, I'm going the same way with you on that one. Just coming off a new coach. Montreal, I think, is still a good team. You look at the standings. They are still a good team. You're going to get that kind of boost from a new coach, an important series. They got enough veteran guys who know they need to step up to show to show to the new coach what they can do. You got a new coach who helps young guys. All these things add up to. I think they're going to get on a little bit of a run here and started against two games against the Jets, who they're battling for that second, third place with. So, and you see a lot of parity in um, in the North Division. So, sorry, Burke. Think- I just want to stop you here. Nylander has two goals tonight and just scored the overtime winner. Oh, baby. This guy's trying to get himself not traded right now. I didn't touch on that earlier, but this guy is trying to get himself to stay on the Leafs. Or maybe he doesn't. Maybe if, if, if he's going to get traded, this just helped him for sure uh, in his value because he's been god-awful all year long. So Dubas is probably punching the air right now, not not only just because the Leafs won, but because Nealander's trade value just went up. Yeah, so uh, just getting back on track there. Uh, any other opinions on the Habs Jets? Are we good to move to the next game? Bro? No, I'm good. Yeah, I'm good. I think as I, as we kind of covered it all, I, I I think the Habs should be should be pretty good. So I never thought we'd really be talking about this, especially in that division. But uh, they're number one and number three in the division right now, basically tied with Tampa, and that's Florida versus Carolina, making that Central Division interesting with two teams who you thought could be decent, but who are playing really well. Well, and Hubert over for uh, the Panthers has been just unbelievable this year. Um, and unfortunately, you know, with, with having the North Division, it's great being able to watch Canadian teams all the time, but you don't see as many U.S. teams on TV as you normally would. Um, as, as the standings are actually right now, um, you know, Florida's got an additional has a game in hand. They're one point up on Tampa, actually, for first place. So uh, that, that might change by the time the game rolls around. Carolina has been been super super pesky. Um, I just feel like I don't know about you, but it seems to me every time I bet on Florida, they suck. I, I don't know what it is. They're they're twelve four and two, so you know the stats or you know the the record would suggest that they're winning. Well, obviously they're winning significantly more than they're losing. But every time the Canes, man, they're just the Canes are kind of like the Sens of the Central. Like they're just super pesky and just never go away. Yeah, I like the Canes in this one. Just I think their depth is better. Florida's got this line now that looks so good. You have Barkov, who I think's one of the best two-way centers in the league who can still put up points. Huberto's really having a breakout year. Not that he hasn't been good. And then this Carter Vergy, or however you want to say it, stepping up. And But I still think their goaltending, Bobrovsky's looked terrible, and I think Drieger's going to fall off a bit. So 
I'm going to go Kane's money line. What was your official pick there, Burke? But I just wanted to see what you were going to pick. I don't want to be chalked the same the whole time. So I'm going to go the opposite. And even though every time I bet on Florida, they lose, which pretty much guarantees you're going to go up units, I'm going to take Florida money line. And even though, and they're probably going to be favorites too. So I'll, uh, I'll take a hit on that one. Yeah. So then we're going to get into the fifth game. And uh, I mean, this is an easier game to pick, but I had a bunch sitting here, but we'll make at least one listener happy. Kind of mentioned in the Red Wings at least once oh, this year. God. So we got Detroit versus Chicago in a game that shouldn't be a game, but again, it's the NHL and it's still hockey. The battle of the former good teams. That's super exciting. So we've got hey, the fourth... Chicago is a good team this year so far. Yeah, I don't know. I think they're posers, but um, I mean, Patrick Kane can only drag them so far and and your goalie that you love so much. What's his name again? Kevin Lankinen. Lankinen, yeah, your fantasy boy. Um, so yeah, so I mean, Detroit five thirteen and three, Chicago ten six and four. Detroit sucks. I'm never betting on Detroit. Chicago money line. Yeah, I mean, I don't have a good argument on betting for Detroit. You're gonna hate my <laughs> argument here because Bernier's actually four and two with a really good record. Bernier also sucks. So, I mean, my last two picks, Burke, just to give you a little flashback, is Canes with probably Reimer. And, I mean, if Red Wings start Bernier, you could go that route. I'm not. It's actually going to be Chicago puck line. They're going to win this game pretty easily. Lankinen's going to step up. I don't know who for Detroit's going to score on him with the way he's playing. And Kane's going to put in two or three on a guy like that. Whether he scores them or gets assists, he's going to have a big point night and i wouldn't be scared of going maybe kane over two and a half points versus a team like detroit well okay i'll change my mind then if you're gonna go chicago puck line i will go chicago money line two units i got two units on chicago because there's not a single soul who can tell me that detroit has a chance in hell of beating chicago on the weekend i would like to put more units on but i like to say i want to put a million units on chicago i don't have a million units so I'll just keep it nice conservative at two units. But I'm going to ask you this really quick, maybe spring this on you. But Chicago is my lock of the week. Lock it up, Chicago money line. Put as many units as you want. Doesn't matter. They're taking home the dub. Was your lock, Cam? Is it Chicago too? Uh, if we're going to go off Saturday, actually, I might go a little. I mean, that one's going to be pretty chalky. I don't think you're going to get a good number. So with the new head coach change, let's go Habs money line as the lock. Ooh. I think they're going to come out strong and win that game on Saturday. Oh, baby. You're back in your homeboys. Let's go. I like it. So, I mean, hockey and football are two of the main sports we're going to touch on a lot of the time here. We've touched on golf a bit earlier in the episode, but we're coming off one of the majors, Grand Slams in tennis. And we had Novak Djokovic win his 18th Grand Slam major tournament now. So now we're going to talk is... uh, we now have three of the greatest all-time men's tennis players playing at the same time. So we thought it'd be a fun discussion to who do you think is the greatest of all time, or at least at the moment there, Burke? Yeah. So, I mean, you've got feds got, so Roger Federer's got uh, 20 majors. Nadal's got 20 majors. Djokovic has got 18. So let's dive into this a little bit. So, you know, in my opinion, Nadal's out of the conversation. If you're a Nadal fan, I apologize. I don't know many people who are Nadal fans, like, through and through. I'm a Fed fan. Like, that's where my biases lie. You know, I 
as a kid, you know, I always cheered for Federer. Um, I had the Nike red Federer headband. I had the, the Federer racket. I had the Federer racket back. And, uh, you know, he was always just kind of my favorite player to watch. And Nadal was kind of like that, uh, kind of like the villain. Every time they played each other, you're rooting against Nadal because he's like, ah, oh, we don't want him to touch Roger's record. But in terms of analytics, I mean, all of these, all three of these guys are really close in career wins. I think Rodgers around 80, just above 82% in his career win percentage. Nadal and Djokovic are both slightly above 83%. Um, Rodgers had a little bit of injury. Nadal has two, but I think Rodgers had a little bit more. Um, the, the reason that I have Nadal out of the conversation is, I mean, the guy's won 13 Frenches, which is impressive. Like, don't get me wrong. That's super, super impressive. But to be considered the greatest of all time, like, could you imagine if, I mean, there's really no, I was trying to give it a comparison, but there's really no comparison in any other sport where, because every other sport, they play on a single court for the most part. Like you don't see the NBA playing on, you know, playing on concrete one time or playing on grass. Like, you know, in, in tennis, you know, you're playing on three surfaces, hard court, clay and, and grass. Right. So Nadal's winning 13 on clay. He's the king of clay. I don't think there's a question about that, but you know, if 13 of your 20 majors are on the, is in the same tournament, I just don't think that there is enough spread among the other majors to really consider you the greatest of all time. Yeah, I'm on the same page here. Uh, Nadal's the king of clay. He's the best clay player of all time. But to me, he hasn't done enough on the other surfaces. He has won them all, and that's the argument for all three of these guys. I don't think you could really – you'd have an argument for any three of these guys being the greatest of all time. I don't think it's Nadal. But I could see your argument. All three guys have won all four majors. And, I mean, Novak and Fed haven't had as much luck on clay. They each only have one win that way. But basically, I break it down to right now, Fed is number one in my opinion. He's got the 20. He's got the split among them all. He's done it for a while over multiple generations. He's a little bit older. But those are kind of my points on why he's the best at the moment and I think the greatest of all time now. The thing is, is Djokovic is six years younger than Fed, and I think three to five years from now, Djokovic has the most Grand Slams, and I think then we can really talk, and he will be the greatest. He only has 18 now. He's two back. If something crazy in his career happened and he never catches them, then he's out of the conversation. But I think he has a good chance of doing it. But right now, I think it's Fed and Nadal's, I think, just a step below. Well, one of the things I wanted to mention too, I'm going to give that take, you know, my take on what you're saying really shortly, but I just wanted to throw out there that we're just talking men's tennis. I mean, Serena Williams is arguably the greatest tennis player of all time in both. She's dominated the sport for so many years. Like we haven't seen anybody dominate the sport. And so I don't know. I personally, I don't see that as a discussion. I mean, Osaka has now won four majors in her very young career. So she maybe can go on a huge run like that. But Serena has 23 majors. She's done. She, like anybody who has to play her, especially in her prime, it was, it was almost a guarantee. Like you're like, Oh, okay. It's the fourth round. Serena Williams is playing this. You're like, all right. Like, even if you look at futures on, okay, who's winning this grand slam. I mean, Serena Williams is like plus 100 plus 200, which is ridiculous for a tennis title. Like that's outrageous. Like it's super. That's it's almost as bad as like Matthews minus five hundred to score. It's just stupid. 
but she's like just arguably the greatest ever in terms of Djokovic and, and, and Federer. I totally agree. I think Federer has done way more for the, for the sport of tennis than, than Djokovic ever has and ever will. You know, if you ask most people who are my age um, or any, any younger person, you know, we, we've been very fortunate to grow up with three people who are arguably the greatest players in the game uh, of all time. But I just think that, you know, Federer is just that the step above. And I mean, he has the charisma and all that stuff. Maybe Djokovic doesn't have. He's very, um, he's, he's really easily promoted in the U.S. I think that also is part of it, right? Because he's Swiss. He speaks really good English. He's, you know, he's got that sexy hair. He's got the, the swagger. Um, Djokovic, I like personally, because I think that, you know, he shows up to the crappy tournaments. He shows up to the Rogers Cup in Toronto, you know, he does Gasquet, collects his $1 million and moves on. But I think that the fans like him. But for my money's worth, Federer is, I don't care if he if he doesn't, you know, have the most majors at the end. Federer is always going to be my favorite and always going to be, you know, the greatest in my mind. But I won't be shocked if, if I mean, would, Cam, would you be shocked if Djokovic ended up with 30 majors? Because I sure as shit wouldn't be. Yeah, 30 seems to be pushing it for me, but I think he's got a really good line at getting to 25, and if he gets close to that 25 number, then I think you have to put him at the greatest of all time because I don't think Fed's going to win any more. He maybe can sneak one more. You never know. Nadal maybe one or two more, but I think that's probably about it. You're just seeing so many of these young guys step up in the game now too who these guys are kind of on the edge of their prime, and now you're getting titsy pass and... Zverev, you're getting some of the Canadians with Shapovalov and Ajay Aliassime. A lot of these younger guys are stepping up in majors, and you do have a couple even, Warinka, a couple of those guys. But Djokovic seems to still have the game to compete every time there's a tournament where Nadal and Federer don't anymore. So I think there's a good chance that he sneaks off five more and the other two don't really win any more or one more. I love the point you made to me earlier in the week, by the way, which was, you know, guys like Raonich, I know Warenka won one, but guys like Raonich and, you know, some of these other, um, you know, lesser, no, not lesser known, really, <laughs> nobodies, some of these other nobodies in tennis, as I, as I get ripped for from the last podcast, but some of these other guys would have won majors if we weren't dealing with three of the best players of, the, of all time at the same time, right? It wouldn't just be Nadal, Djokovic, Federer, it would be a little bit more spread out. So I think you're going to see that in a few years, but, um, but yeah, I think Djokovic, as you said, he's going to rattle off a few more and, and he's just the best player in the world right now. So we're running a little long. We had a little bit of conversation. We, you know, we obviously talked about our normal hockey stuff. We added in a few stuff. I just want to get to just some quick fire on two, uh, two questions from, uh, that came into us, uh, you know, from listeners. Yeah. The first one. Uh, so talk about what the Leafs, uh, you know, what Leafs top six fours they should go after in a trade and what the, should they give up? I'll go first really quick. I think they should give up well, William Nylander. I think he's needs, he needs to go score two goals tonight. As I said earlier in the pod, I think that Dubas is so happy because he just upped his trade value for sure. Um, I just don't think he fits with the vibe of the team. I don't think that he fits with the, you know, the game plan for playoff success. And if you can get rid of him, bringing in somebody with a little bit more grit you know, Philip Forsberg kind of style, even if you have to send over a draft pick or whatever, get rid of the contract if you can. Um, I'll even take a flyer on somebody to, you know, just for a year, just free open that cap space, get me, get, get us that almost $7 million cap space back. Let some of the younger guys into the lineup and, um, 
And yeah, I don't really care who he goes for, to be honest. He's a great talent, but he just doesn't seem to fit the vibe in Toronto. Yeah, I mean, you're not going to shed Tavares anytime soon, so you got to kind of fit that second line for him. Philip Forsberg's an interesting one, but I don't really know what he's going to draw. It could be too much for probably where Toronto wants to go for what you're going to need to trade. I think more realistic, you're looking at a Granlund or a Tanner Pearson. And those guys kind of fit the players that Tavares has played well with. So I think that's probably more realistic. I know you want to shoot for the stars as Toronto fans, but... Of course. That's I'm where not going to think... say trade him for a bucket of pucks. No, like, I think oh, yeah, you're prob- I just... probably looking at more a Granlund Pearson type pickup and not probably a Forsberg, but you never know. I'd love to see a blockbuster in the NHL during this season, but with the flat cap and kind of... COVID and a 14 day quarantine and yeah yeah that's tough I mean I'm sure Tavares would be stoked he's like I don't have to drag around this sandbag anymore maybe I can actually play and I think that's who you're gearing towards right you're trying to get a guy who Tavares can make better just like he did on the Islanders with some of the guys on the Islanders made them look so much better than they actually were because if and, and Tavares has done that his whole career made other guys look better and if he can't do that to Nylander to me that spells trouble um, last one before we kind of get going here, Cam. This is from uh, this is from Scott. The previous question was for Brad. This one's from Scott. Um, just wants us to talk about um, just Mike Babcock and getting hired by the University of Saskatchewan. Yeah, I think it's a great move by him. Uh, really takes him home, takes him to a place where he can develop a little, gets eyes back on him for a move to the NHL. At some point, I mean, he's definitely had issues and crossed the line with players like Marner. But overall, is he that much different of a personality than like a guy like Torts? And does he have some good X's and O's? Probably not. He probably is a good coach. So I definitely think he needed a break, but I definitely think this is a good path for him to get back, work with some young people. CIS hockey has a lot of younger players, and that's where he seems to have struggled. So I think it's a great move. I think there's some value for the for the university for sure. Um, I mean, it's very out in the open, his experiences in Toronto, his experiences in Detroit. Players have talked about it and said they didn't like him for this, that, and the other thing. I'm sure that part of his interview process with the university was, you know, Mike, are you still this guy? Like, you know, what what are you bringing to, to the university with the kids? And I know CIS hockey is not, you know, it's not NCAA. It's, it's you know, nothing like that, but... It's still a step. I mean, if he has success there, it's definitely a springboard. I'm sure he wants to get back into the NHL at some point. Um, who doesn't want to get back into the best league in the entire world? Uh, I just don't think he has the trust of any of any NHL teams right now. So small steps. I mean, as a Toronto fan, I wasn't sad to see him go, but you know, I, I'm a positive person. I wish him all the best at uh, at the University of Saskatchewan, and I hope those kids there he's able to you know teach them and. And make them better hockey players, make them better men, and uh, and as I said, I wish them all the best. So, um, I think that's all we've got, Cam. Anything else from you? Uh, no, I think there's some stuff we want to touch on in the NFL, but I think we can wait on that. We're going to start to really get into free agency in the draft within oh, the coming shoot. weeks. Yeah, Carson Wentz traded to Indy. I know we can't, we can't, we can't put that off for another week. Carson Wentz traded to Indy. Uh, give me your take, quick. Give me a one minute drill on it. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a good move by both teams. Philly had to move him. He wanted out. Jalen Hurts looks like the future. That pick should turn into a first, that conditional second, where if he plays 75% of the snaps, he'll be in. Indy's a good team. They're playoff ready. They got a really good defense. They got Pittman, who looks like a really good wide receiver. 
they got a true RB1 in Taylor. So I think it's a good move both ways. And if Wentz can figure out his mindset a little better with the coaching staff there, it would be a good play for him. I, I totally agree. I think that this is a is a must-have move for for the Eagles. I don't think they got a ton for him. I mean, the draft pick is it's okay. I mean, it'll probably end up being a first unless Wentz gets injured, which is a, a possibility. But even if even if he doesn't, I mean, if he doesn't get injured, he's probably going to put up a great year. He was not on the same page as Peterson, uh, Doug Peterson, the head coach of the Eagles. I, I don't think that. Um, I don't think the Eagles are going to be sad to see him go because, I mean, in the couple of games that Jalen Hurts played, he was unreal. And Eagles fans definitely aren't sad about it because this guy was just kind of being a whiny baby in their opinion. It's easy for them to say now that he's gone that we didn't need you. But, I mean, he, yeah, when the Eagles won the Super Bowl, I mean, he didn't do anything either. So, I mean, I think Nick Foles is a bigger legend in, uh, bigger legend in Philly than Carson Wentz ever was and never will be. So, I wish Carson all the best in Indianapolis. I think it's a great fit. You're trying to, you know, fill the shoes of, of some some good quarterbacks that have played there. I think their system fits really well. As you said, Pittman, I think, will be a great target for him. So as long as he can stay healthy and, um, you know, and have the right attitude going into Indy, which oftentimes NFL teams, when you move there, it's a bit of a mental reset. I think he'll do just fine. So one thing I did want to mention, we're going to wrap this up here. Um, you know, you can follow us on Twitter at over six sports. Uh, I just wanted to shout out some, some of our listeners. I know we have listeners in the U S in uh, Minnesota, Connecticut, Virginia. We've got two listeners in Ireland. We've got a listener in Saskatchewan, quite a few listeners in Ontario. Uh, if you want to tweet us at over six sports or send us an email at, uh, sorry, the email is over six sports at gmail.com. Uh, we would love to hear how you, how you heard of us, what you think of the show, send us your feedback. You can give us a review on, uh, on Apple podcast, shoot us that five stars. That'd be great. Give us your comments. But, uh, if, as I said, if you have any comments for the show, any questions for the show at over six sports, over six sports at gmail.com. Uh, I'm Zach, the bandit Burke. And with me, as always yeah cameron charlton and i uh, just want to touch on a couple quick things i mean if you want to send us questions one of these times without huge headlines like we had this week we want to do a podcast where we can answer a ton of them so we want to hear from you we want to hear from you this is the over six sports podcast and we will chat with you next week